one thing we really have avoided is we do not have a Facebook presence because the questions that arise are very technical questions. And something like that can't be drilled down to a Facebook post. Welcome to RAS Talk, the podcast on recirculating aquaculture systems and sustainable food production. Brought to you by RAS Tech Magazine, the premier publication for recirculating aquaculture systems professionals. This episode is sponsored by OxyGuard International. Secure, grow, evolve. Improve your production with tailored and targeted technology. Welcome everyone. My name is Jean Coden and I'm the editor of Hatchery International and Brass Tech Magazine. I'm happy to be back with my co-host, Brian Vinci, the director of Freshwater Institute. Hi, Brian. Hi, Jean. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm excited for this episode. It's different from the ones we've done before or that we've done together so far. We wanted to spend some time talking about some community outreach. So we're talking to Diana Fletcher, who is the public relations officer at Kingfish, Maine in Jonesport, Maine. So Brian, I wanted to talk to you about why was this important for us as a podcast to talk about? Well, this is a critical issue for RAS projects to be successful. Uh, We'll hear on the podcast from Diana that uh, acceptance and engagement by the community is key to even the upfront planning and permitting process. And in my work, we have seen the projects that are most successful have that really good relationship with the community, um, not only at the beginning, but throughout as they're a a growing company. So it's really important that uh, companies and project proponents hear this story from Diana. There have been other projects in Maine that ran into uh, some obstacles and they're still working through those. And uh, fortunately for Kingfish, they did have someone on the ground like Diana and were able to work through all of their engagement and and really avoid issues except for one at, at the very end. So I think Diana speaks to some of the tools and tricks that they used to uh, ensure that they were successful, at least in the planning and permitting phase. Yeah, for sure. Um, It was definitely a very valuable conversation. And maybe before we get into the episode a little bit, just a little listener warning about some background noise that we're going to hear from Diana's end. Kingfish Maine is a very busy company these days, so she was able to kind of duck into a hotel lobby, but we couldn't control all the background noise that that's there. So just a warning that it is there and keep your volumes down if if that will bother you. So let's get right to it, shall we? Please enjoy the RAS Talk podcast with Diana Fletcher. Welcome, Diana, for joining us on our podcast. You're a busy lady in Kingfish, Maine. There's a lot going on in that company right now. So I appreciate the time that you could carve out for us. Well, thank you, Jean and Brian, for having me on Raz Talk and, and talking about the great successes that we've had. We're very excited. For sure. And of course, um, as an industry, I think we'd love to learn what you guys have experienced in your case. So let's get straight into it. What we're most curious about is the latest developments with Kingfish Maine, which is you've completed the last sort of hurdles of the permitting process. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, I'm thrilled to say that we have received our building permit from the Jonesport Planning Board. And that's really the last piece of the puzzle that was needed for Kingfish to move ahead with construction of the site in Maine. Um, We have all of our state and federal permits. We've had those, we've worked on those over the past uh, couple of years. And you know, it's been, it's a rigorous process as it should be for a project of this size, going through the permitting on the state level, the federal level, 
And all of that involves a lot of, I should say more than a lot, it's constant contact with the community and community building and, and clarifying the, and educating um, the public about what's going on in, with the project. So this has been a, a huge step that we've just received and we're very excited. Yeah, for sure. Um, one of the reasons why we wanted to invite you to the podcast is Kingfish Maine captured, I guess, the industry's attention last July during a proposed aquaculture moratorium that took place. Can you give us a bit of a background of what happened there and how the community was engaged or involved in that process? First, the great news is that we won, (laughs) that the aquaculture moratorium was defeated. Um, The aquaculture moratorium was introduced in the town of Jonesport, Maine, and there are similar proposals that have been introduced in other towns across the state, which I'll talk about in just a little bit. But in terms of when it was introduced in Jonesport, it was to look at putting a six month moratorium on any aquaculture projects that were before the town and the town planning board. In other towns, it was more dealing with uh, water leases. Uh, So they were different in in different towns, but that happened uh, probably in the spring. And when that was brought up, of course, we were a little surprised, but for us, it just continued and we doubled down on our effort in our community relations. Just to back up, and I'll give you a little bit of information now, you know, 2019 is when Jonesport was first uh, selected as a site for a main location. We had already been working with the community. Uh, We had actually had 25 plus different types of meetings with the community, whether it was coffee with kingfish or whether it was educational library sessions or going to the fire station during the pandemic, socially distanced to meet with people. So this had been ongoing public outreach. When the aquaculture moratorium was introduced to the town for a vote, we doubled down and we realized there was misinformation in the community that was going around by outside groups. We'll talk about that in just a moment, but we really doubled down on our efforts to take that misinformation directly, talk about it and reach out to people who had questions about what, what, what that misinformation was, What were some of the lingering questions about our project in the community? And the end result was it was the largest turnout ever for a vote in the town of Jonesport, whether it was an election or a town meeting. This was during a town meeting and we, the community defeated the aquaculture moratorium in a two to one vote, 201 to 91. And it was really a clear message from the residents that they wanted projects. They wanted aquaculture projects to come into the community for economic development. And it was a very, very clear and I think a very decisive message that was sent to the town and to the opposition groups as well. Can we backtrack a little bit about what was the catalyst for the aquaculture moratorium? Like, how did it play out? It it seemed like it took place within like a short few months, but Mm -hmm. um, so much has happened. Yeah, so much has happened. I think that what happened was, again, going back to we have we have felt from the very beginning, we've had very strong support from the town of Jonesport. Um, From the very beginning in 2019, it was almost three years ago in November that we first introduced the idea of Kingfish as a possibility for the town. And, And I can talk a little bit about that process because that was interesting in itself. But during that time, again, we were really working with the community, answering questions. We were always there, always open. Our team, whether it was myself or Megan and Tom Sorby, the operations managers, 
But there, you know, there's this, there's notion of many other large projects, whether it's the aquaculture industry or other industries, there's this idea of nimbyism. Usually, you know, people think it's really literally not in my backyard, but that can be a bit deceiving. There were groups within the state, organized groups, who, and some funded by dark money or large money, that oppose large projects up and down the coast. And at least in the, Maine, the state of Maine, there's a feeling that some people don't want to see development on the waterfront because they maybe enjoy their very large waterfront homes or they don't want anything to change scenically. So I think that at least for us, it was a very small vocal group from out of town that came into the town that wanted to change what was happening. And we already had all our state and federal permits at this point. The wheels were turning. And then this moratorium was introduced. When did you find out about the moratorium and how quickly did you have to kind of spring into action as a team to, you know, state your case for it? I believe it was back in March. The vote was in July. Uh, We were not completely shocked because there were other towns in Maine who had been considering moratoriums on aquaculture. And this, when you say aquaculture, it could be small to large aquaculture projects, which is very detrimental, obviously, to the industry. But many towns had already rejected aquaculture moratoriums. One was introduced in Jonesport. And luckily, again, the fact that we were already working so hard with the community and entrenched in the community, it just meant that we were just working, you know, we were really going head on with the misinformation that was being put out there. So it wasn't so much as that we activated ourselves. We were already extremely activated in the community. Again, with our, you know, our lunchtime coffee with Kingfish at Musebeck Variety, where we really got to know really the townspeople. People would come to our educational, you know, lunches at the library or at the fire station. Some of that was part of the permitting process. Much of it we just put on to give the community the information they need. So when this aquaculture moratorium came up, we went, we we're doing exactly what we were doing before, but we would take the misinformation that was used in that campaign and say, this is why it's not true. And really, you know, go head to head with that misinformation in, in a series of meetings. And, and then we also really formed our own support group. We knew we had a group of supporters already. And then we started having weekly support groups with these 40 or 50 people that really were brought about by business leaders who wanted success. So they were the ones who said, let us help you to, you know, so friends of friends and friends of ours and family of ours, we can recruit. And so that's what happened. It was very much an organic way of it happening in terms of we were already in the community and those business leaders stepped up to say, we want to be part of this too. And we want to help you out. So we did that, you know, opening up educational meetings. We, um, we would meet one-on-one with folks who wanted more information. We did yard signs, which were everywhere <laughs> in a very small town. You can imagine that. Uh, so it was interesting. We felt very uh, invigorated, even though we had that vote looming. But to see our supporters turn out, it was amazing. And it was really their vote. It's really why we're there in that community. How large is the scope of a moratorium like this? I mean, were there other aquaculture businesses in Jonesport that would have been affected? Was Kingfish the main target, maybe? That's a good question, because I, Kingfish was the main target. But in a process of 
a small vocal group of outsiders coming in trying to stop the project, they would also stop development of other new aquaculture projects that would have come in, or at least that six-month moratorium that would have been put into place. But if, if it did go through, how much would six months impact the company? I mean, it's hard to say, and a good thing we don't have to deal with that, you know, right yes, now. Absolutely. <laughs> but I also know that it's one of those, it's six months, and then in six months, it can be extended again for another six months. Okay. So, but it's, that's a very good question. And I think it's, for us, it was, you know, obviously, we felt as though it was targeted at us, but we also know that there are other aquaculture companies. I mean, in the state of Maine, it's, there are, I think there are over 300 small to large aquaculture uh, producers, you know, there are aquaculture aquaculturalists, we can say, because they, you know, they could be single people to very large entities. So it's to have that type of a moratorium put on an industry is very, very difficult. Before we kind of celebrate a little bit about, you know, (laughs) what took place with moratorium and the good news that that event was, I wanted to kind of understand what you said that this sort of outside group that wasn't even part of the community came in and proposed this idea. And you mentioned also that similar things were kind of happening in neighboring towns within the state. Was this something that you guys were keeping an eye on before even the moratorium was triggered? I think that anytime there are, in Maine is not, you know, Maine is not the only state where this happens, but Mm -hmm. in other states, you know, this happens and you have to be aware of any type of new technology introduced into a state, a community, a region, you know, you're going to have people who have questions and concerns. Specific to your question, yes, we knew that there was a group in the state of Maine, but I think it goes back to how we started the whole process. And I have to say Kingfish started the process just before I came on was that Kingfish wanted to find a community where it was welcome. That is the most important thing. And Ohad Mayman and his group talked with business leaders and town leaders to say, are you interested in this? What do you need to know about this? And what is it you need? Are we welcome here? And I think that that was really important to see that. Yes, things happen, not just in Maine, but in other states, you have groups that can be uh, you know, very well funded and, and go after certain types of industries. But if you find the right match, it can work. So yes, we were keeping an eye on it, but I think that how Ohad and his team approached it from the very beginning was the right way to do it. When it did come to that town hall meeting and that moratorium proposal, how nervous were you guys um, or were you coming in confident because familiar faces were in the room? Oh, well, when we, you know, we had meetings weekly leading up to that with our supporters. We had an ongoing list of, of people that we were, were getting out the vote for. Um, it's a small, small town. So everyone is connected in some way, which is a great thing for us because we, I feel like I'm part of the community. I know I can never say I'm a Jones Porter, but I feel very you know, blessed to be able to work there. So we met like every week. And when the vote turned out, when people started coming in, we were still a little nervous because, you know, you really don't know how it's really going to turn out. We saw so many familiar faces and it was so exciting to see everyone turn out. And then when people, they did their private votes, it was cast by private ballot. And when, you know, when it was read, everyone was cheering. And I, I can't tell you how many hugs we received after from the townspeople who were so excited. Let's move forward with this. And that was just, um, you know, one of the steps that we needed. But definitely a sense of community with that, with that vote 
that no vote turning down the aquaculture moratorium. It must have been such a vote of confidence for the company and for the team to be able to kind of see these the community show out for this one particular event. But it kind of represents quite a lot in terms of the relationship that Kingfish has created for the community, right? I feel that we have. I, we are very much, you know, I don't know if indebted is the word. It's just that we, we have a collaborative working arrangement, I feel like, with the community. We're going to be a good corporate neighbor, but we're a neighbor and we're just part of a community that we're happy that wants us. And I think that's very, very important. And it was, I mean, it was really moving to see, but we had been spending months with, with our supporters over the, those, you know, those several months leading to that vote. Um, and it was really exciting. And, you know, even after that, going into the planning board sessions, same thing. I talk with them all the time. They message me, call me. They call Megan and Tom. I mean, <laughs> we're always connected in some way with the community. Diana, it's great to have yeah. you on the podcast. So welcome. Thanks so much. You've mentioned um, the success with the Jonesport community and that OHOT and the Kingfish team had um, surveyed essentially uh, other towns. Mm-hmm. But uh, could you tell us a little yeah. bit about what towns they might have targeted? What were what was in the search window for Kingfish um, in those towns like Jonesport? Well, I think that, you know, obviously... And I know that Kingfish, this was prior to my joining Kingfish, but um, they had looked at other locations, I think 20 locations up and down the East Coast. So obviously access to, to water, coastline was very, very important. A large, you know, plot of land. Um, you know, those are some of the very obvious things for this, you know, grass system. But I think it goes back to they wanted a community that was open and welcoming and eager to, to, you know, to bring jobs and economic development to their area. So I can't, you know, I don't know the exact towns because again, it was before I started working with Kingfish, but I do know that when that, you know, that, that search honed in on um, Jonesport, that they brought in members of the business community, town leaders, people who had been, you know, they were Jonesporters for life to say, okay, you know, what is it you need? What is it you're looking for? And this is what we have. Let's kind of share our plans together and see if it's something you're interested in. When did you come on with Kingfish, Maine? When, when did you run into OHOT and the team? Uh, 2019, when their search was underway. And um, I was working with Maine and Company, which is a nonprofit economic development group in the state of Maine that helps businesses. They provide private businesses to other companies who are looking to locate in the state of Maine, whatever it may be, not just aquaculture, but different types of, you know, industries. And I had met Kingfish through Maine and Company and was able to travel to Jonesport and meet with some of the groups there as well. And then actually put together that meeting, which was the end of November meeting in the library. And I can distinctly remember all of the holiday decorations in the library and it was all ready for Christmas and standing room only, people coming in with the town leaders, they had the, you know, kind of that focus group they had first worked with, but then we invited obviously the whole town to come in and hear about the project. And um, I was at that meeting, helped set that meeting up. And, and actually at that, at that meeting, they had a inf- informal straw poll and to see who was interested in learning more and moving forward. And that, every single person in the room raised their hands with the exception of like two. So, so that was great. <laughs> So you went from uh, working on the uh, state economic 
development side of things with a nonprofit to being brought on with Kingfish then? Yes, right after that. Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we had those first town meetings and then it just, you know, morphed into, you know, working with, with Kingfish in Maine on that project to really look at who the stakeholders were, look at who the interested parties were that we needed to reach out to, and then set up those meetings and then start really public relations and community relations. So from your standpoint, I'm sure you'll say yes, absolutely. But <laughs> uh, as someone in public public relations and community engagement, do you think as a model that other uh, RAS projects might follow, do you think it, it's important that those other projects might bring on someone in the in the PR and community engagement space? I cannot stress how important that is. Uh, yes, yes. I'm saying yes to your yes. <laughs> but also I think, uh, you know, page out of the playbook of Kingfish was really meeting with town leaders and business leaders to find out what they wanted. So I think that's the first step to make certain they're in a community they want to be in, that the community is open to the project. And then I think finding somebody locally who understands the stakeholders within that state and in that community, and then also the media as well, because that's a very important, obviously, a, an important part of it as well. But yes, I do believe that's very important. When you first came on, what are the, some of the things that you had to learn about the community before you started any sort of marketing campaign or community outreach campaign? I think it goes back to what Kingfish discovered in a kind of its discovery process of what is important to the community. Why does Jonesport want economic development? What is needed? What are their incentives? Not just, oh, we'll bring you some jobs, but for the town of Kingfish or for the town of Jonesport, they see Kingfish as, as being a, a collaborative partner in helping bring jobs to the region, but also keeping families there. So Jonesport itself is really a fishing community in down East Maine, lobstering and fishing town and, and some blueberries, you know, blueberry growers, but, and it's a very proud town. And I think in discovering the community, we found out what was the most important there was to keep their young people there, find work, bring in businesses that will keep their young people there and their families to keep their schools open. And I, I that sounds like a really simple request, right? But this is a tiny, tiny town of 1200 people. And so that was part of my job, as you said, kind of learning about this community and what is important and, and who the people are. And, you know, I, I felt like I learned as much from them when we, we would have these informational sessions, that meaning, you know, the residents, than they would learn from us. And that was very, very important. They're very proud people and hard workers and the greatest community. This is really my first aquaculture client that I've had. So I've had a, um, a steep learning curve to understand the industry. And I'm just, you know, luckily I'm working with Tom and, and Megan Sorby. So they're a fantastic team and Kingfish as a whole. So it's, it's been very exciting. I can definitely relate to you um, <laughs> being new to the aquaculture industry, yeah. but you have quite a prolific experience in the world of, you know, public relations and community relations. So, um, how many years have you been working in that space? I've had my company for 20 years. I'll be 20 years next year. And prior to that, um, my first life, I'd like to say I was a journalist. And I think, you know, when you work as a journalist, as you know, um, you learn a lot about a lot of different industries and you actually really learn how to, how to understand people. You know, when, you, when, you're, when you're in, a, in an industry, you're interviewing folks, 
that's the most important part. It's, it's, you know, it's communications. It's making those ties and those connections with people. So I had a career in journalism, TV journalism, specifically in the state of Maine. So I think that that, you know, kind of that media aspect too was very important to Kingfish to have somebody on the ground here who could really work the media and work with the media. Because as you know, I mean, the industry's tough. I mean, it's, 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 you know, if you've, you've got like a local reporter at a, a, you know, a newspaper or a TV station or a business magazine, they've never even heard about aquaculture, much less, you know, grass systems. <laughs> so there's a lot to, you know, educate, not just the community on the, on the technology, but also the media as well. So this is, it's, I'm very excited though, to be part of the industry now. And I feel like I've, um, I've learned a lot in the past couple of years. Definitely. And, uh, you know, the industry really does need success stories, whether it's success stories just in the first stages of planning and permitting or Mm -hmm. um, getting to commercial production and harvest and and successful uh, product placement and sales. You're a Mainer, correct? You're you're from Maine. I'd love to say that I'm from Maine. I cannot say that I'm a Mainer because I was not born here. And I think that some uh, some people would understand that (laughs) when they say Mainer. My children have were born here. I guess they would yeah. be considered Mainers, but I've I've lived here for, let's just say, decades. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so you've been in Maine long enough to see some of the other projects oh, yes. uh, proposed and and go through various uh, trials, and you know what you guys did at Kingfish that was successful. Um, can do you think there's anything any common thread with those other projects that that have had some trials that you see as okay, well it was communication that, that should have been emphasized or it was uh, more engagement, um, uh, you know, hand to hand or, or, or locally. Uh, what, what are, what are these, some of these things that you think uh, you've seen that, um, that projects do need to absolutely do uh, to be as successful as Kingfish? Well, first I can say, as you know, every project is very different and yeah. every community is very different. I can just tell you from like my own, our own personal standpoint for the Kingfish team is that how Kingfish entered into requesting and asking Jonesport if they could be part of that community was really the first step. So I would say that any type of project such as this really should look for kind of that, that, that acceptance from the community first and work to answer the questions because it's a technology that folks don't know about here in the US, you know, it's not, it's not readily available. It's much more, you know, understood in, in other parts of the world. So I think that that's the first key is kind of the acceptance of the community to the technology. And then I think it's that company finding out what are the, what are the community's needs and um, how can we meet, how can we meet together and work together to meet those needs? And then after that, it's who are the stakeholders who are the groups that might be concerned about things? Meet with them one-on-one. But then it's really building community. And it's about transparency, being transparent from the start of what the project is about, completely transparent about the process and answering and, and being on top of any concerns that may arise. I will also say that each community has a different way of communicating. And I will say that in Jonesport, it's face-to-face communications. Yes, we have an email you know, that goes around, I have a supporter email list that I'm constantly talking to our supporters, but they want to see you in person. And so you can imagine during the pandemic, you know, we, we had to make, find ways to make that happen in socially distanced areas. 
So I think that it's just constant communication, transparency, being open about the process from the very beginning, and also just being connected to the community in any way you can. I mean, I've talked about kind of the lunch and learns that we did, the coffee with Kingfish. We also work with the high school. We're on our going on our set, end of the second school year with a high school aquaculture program. In, two, in 2020, we brought in a 400 gallon mini RAS system for the students at the high school to raise fish, turned into an aquaponics program the next year. This year, that class harvested the fish, used the vegetables from the aquaponics program and made fish tacos for the entire school. That is a service that we are giving to the high school and working with the high school. So that's another touch point that we've had over the past couple of years. So I think to answer your question, what can projects do? Community involvement, it's as important, it's required as part of the state permitting process in the state of Maine to have these public hearings, but really constantly be part of the community and be open to their questions and their concerns. I was going to ask you what common mistakes or common shortfalls have past aquaculture projects. Where did others fail, do you feel, and Kingfish Maine was able to succeed? Like, were there common mistakes or common shortfalls from past projects that Kingfish Maine was able to learn from and maybe overcome? Hey, Jean, um, I, I just asked that question. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know, but... But, like, is there, like, a step one that, like, most companies or most projects miss that, um, you know, people overlook very easily. I mean, it sounds like the main thing is reaching out to the community and being in constant communication is an important part, but um, are there missing tricks here or missing steps here that projects are overlooking? No, I think this is, that's a good point in terms of maybe some don'ts too. Um, One thing we really have avoided is we do not have a Facebook presence. Because the questions that arise are very technical questions. And something like that can't be drilled down to a Facebook post. And so from the very beginning, this is maybe just another project may be totally fine working on that, you know, using that as one of their, you know, one of their tools in their tool chest. For us, we knew exactly what we were going to do. And if we have, if we, you know, folks in the community have questions about our project, and very specific questions. We want to answer those face-to-face or in a phone call or in a Zoom call rather than you know, ask a question on Facebook because you know it's technical. I, I mean, both of you I'm sure realize that and how easy that can devolve when, when it's on Facebook when you can't really get to the, the meat of what you're talking about. So I think that if there's one tip I have, that was my, one of my big things from the very start. That said, there may be another project that might use Facebook in a different way. So social media tools can be used in different ways. And I think it depends upon your audience and you know, what you're working with. Here's an example. And it sounds like it's a strange example, but during the state hearing process, you know, you have to, you know, part of it for the permitting is that we have to do public hearings. We post it, let them know that you know, we've filed our permit and then we have a set date for a public hearing. We had COVID, we had the pandemic and we're in the midst of it. And so we were told by the DEP that we could just do this online, but that wasn't good enough for us. We, want, we knew that not everybody in that community in the Jonesport community felt comfortable going online to listen to our presentation. So we did a socially distanced public hearing in the town fire station 
you know, the, the chairs were six feet apart. <laughs> Everybody was wearing masks and we did it online as well. So we kind of doubled down on that because we realized that at least for that community, that the way that people really want to connect is in person. And that was very important for us. So I think that that's one of the tools, at least for us that worked. But again, I think every project is very different. Diana, earlier you mentioned um, some of the ways that you addressed the misinformation uh, that occurred during the Jonesport uh, moratorium um, uh, time period. Um, you know, thinking back on it now, do you have any best practices for how projects might address these kind of um, misinformation or anti-aquaculture sentiment? For us, and I know that it's different case by case and every project can be very different, but for us, we had been through the process over the past two years of being completely transparent, talking about the project. It did not change from the start either. Nothing changed in our permits or our process. But we decided to take on the misinformation head to head. You know, we would have those informational meetings at the library and we would have a PowerPoint presentation that says, this is what you've heard. This is in fact false. And this is why it's false. And we would go step by step each and every piece of mis misinformation that was out in the public. This actually helped bring more supporters to us because it was a matter of distorting facts. At least that's what the opposition was doing. And the people who sat in those meetings understood everything completely as we were spelling it out. We also launched a Jonesport Fish Facts website where it was just basically, these are the facts about our project. Bullet point, make it as simple as possible. And that was very important to do as well. And we would have handouts at all of the meetings as well. Yeah, that website sounds uh, uh, very uh, instructive and, um, and uh, maybe a critical piece for you guys. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, going back to what I mentioned earlier is that we did stay off social media just because it's a very technical project. You can't give technical information in a social media post. It's easy to, to get into a rabbit hole, let's just say in terms of when you go down that road. So that's one thing we did avoid. Those folks who had questions and concerns come to us immediately. We will answer those directly. And then we have it on the Jonesport Fish Facts website as well. That's actually really interesting for you to be able to say, you know, online presence, um, you know, social media specifically is not, you know, the best way to disseminate information. Was the best way for you to disseminate information in those in-person meetings? Like, how did you invite people? Was it through the relationships with your stakeholders? Is that how you kind of spread the word? Yep, we, we would um, tell the local reporter to make certain that it was in the weekly edition of the paper. We would also post it um, through the libraries. We would go through Facebook. We would do just a little post. We would say to the library, do you mind posting this to let people know? Because people would look at the library website um, and word of mouth. You know, Musebek Variety, which is our gathering spot, would have a, they'll have a little sign on their door saying, you know, our weekly meeting, or if we were having a meeting at the library, it would also have a sign there. That's where everybody goes. Everybody goes for their coffee there. In fact, we'll be there tomorrow. <laughs> meeting with people. So um, word would spread fast. I, everybody knows everyone in that town. So it was very easy to do that. Well, thank you so much, Diana, for sitting down with us and sharing with us all your knowledge and your insight. I guess I like to say that for aquaculture in the US and maybe in North America, they 
sort of face the same problem, but it presents itself in a different way in in different areas of mm. the continent. So I'm sure there's something there and lessons to be learned from Kingfish Maine's example and from all the good work that you guys are doing over there. So thank you so much. Uh, rightly or wrongly, the onus on education of the general public about RAS and aquaculture seems to fall on the businesses themselves. And it's something that we as an industry should certainly be talking more about. So again, thank you for sitting down with us. Thank you, Diana. Thank you so much for this time. Public education is so key in order for these brass projects in the United States to succeed. So I think my reflection or my takeaway from this episode is that it's not necessarily something that you think about when building out your business model or your facility design. There's just too many elements that are kind of demanding your attention that community outreach and that community relationship becomes sort of a last thought. Brian, when you're working with RAS projects or the Freshwater Institute is working with RAS projects, even in other countries, is this a conversation that you have with the producers? I have to say that it's not the first thing that comes to mind, just as you mentioned. And reflecting on that and and the podcast with Diana, um, you could see the success that Kingfish has had in Maine. Um, you know, Maine, a state that has a, a long history of fisheries and, and aquaculture, uh, which is uh, definitely, I would say, a, a pro-aquaculture environment, um, still can present challenges that you need to uh, proactively address. And so it isn't something that immediately comes to mind. The permitting is probably that first thing that projects and project proponents uh, are looking to because they know that they have to get through the permitting process in order for their project to proceed. And um, and we've seen, you know, in the recent, you know, 12 to 24 months, projects having issues uh, with uh, the permitting um, phase and the community acceptance phase. So clearly uh, Kingfish had success by having someone on the ground with Diana. And I think, you know, some of these other projects uh, might look to that as um, as a model. I'm thinking of uh, one project that we're currently working on here, and and just thinking, well, geez, how does this community engagement and community acceptance piece work in? And um, and really, the person who's on the ground already, who is the proponent, has has done the homework there just by being someone local to the area, um, having built the networks throughout um, his lifetime with the various businesses and stakeholders in the area. So, you know, that's uh, another way to address it um, by having someone who is, you know, already local and and part of the project team. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully with Diana's episode and uh, Diana's insight, we can kind of provide our listeners in the industry some tools and some ideas that they can apply to their own projects. Absolutely. Um, it's important that we see projects in this space uh, start to have successes and seeing Kim, Kingfish have uh, successes by um, just recently getting all of their permits, including their building permit approved. It sets a, a goal and a bar for other projects that, yes, you can succeed at this. You have to have the right approach, and that may be specific to your community, and you need to be proactive about not only your technology and your design and your permitting and planning, but also um, with your community engagement and community acceptance piece. For sure. And we'll have lots more resources for you guys in our show notes on our website. Links, photos, and all of that stuff can be found on our website, 
rastechmagazine.com slash podcast. That's R-A-S tech, T-E-C-H magazine.com slash podcast. If you want to support us, please consider sharing this episode with your network and on social media. You can follow us on your favorite podcast platform so you don't have to miss a new episode. We want to thank our sponsor, OxyGuard International. Secure, grow, evolve, improve your production with tailored and targeted technology. Thank you for listening. <laughs>